which is Peter's point. He's been writing to a people who are persecuted. He's been writing to a people who are suffering and going through difficulty and hardship. And he's been seeking to encourage their hearts to remind them of whose they are in Christ, of the promises that they have in Him, and to remember that in all things, to be faithful to Christ in their life. You see, while we can, we can look forward to the glory of eternity that awaits us, and while we're excited about what Christ has done, we still have a responsibility in this life at this time to serve Christ and to make much of Him. Our lives as believers have a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. And throughout this letter, Peter continues to encourage the church in that way, to, to help lead them to a place of hope and expectation and to encourage them to be faithful in their walk with God. Most recently, in the first part of chapter 4, Peter had reminded the church that, that while their culture may not understand um, the Christian's passion for righteousness in the sight of God, and while the culture may mock our pursuit for a life that looks different from the world around us, as so often happens with believers who don't run in the same way and pursue the same things as the world around us. The world looks and, and they're perplexed and, they're, and they don't understand and they, and they mock and, and make fun of Christianity because we don't do the things that they do. And yet Peter tells them that, or reminds them rather, that you know what, it doesn't really matter what the world says because we're all going to give an account to God. They're, they're going to give an account to God, and then we're going to give an account to God because He judges all things. And, and God is faithful. And for those who are faithful to Him, they will receive an inheritance from the Lord as they receive, as they come into His presence into eternity. And so, having reminded us in verse number 6 of the eternal service of the saints, which is just a Bible word for believers, Peter seeks to encourage a response to the fact that the, to the difficulty that they were facing, and, and also for us as believers today, to the difficulties that we're facing, that we can respond in a way that honors God, knowing and understanding that the time of the end is nearer than we think. The time of the end is near. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's holy word, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all... ...and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning in light of this text and We ask for your understanding, for the illumination of your spirit, Lord, to give us these truths and to reveal them to our hearts, Lord, that we might be conformed to the very image of Christ and that we might respond to these truths, Lord, in such a way that is pleasing in your sight, that you might be glorified in us and through us. Touch our hearts, Lord, and draw close to us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So as... Peter begins this section of the text, and he reminds the church, he reminds the believers that the end of all things is near. So really the first task that we have in interpreting this section of the text is to understand what exactly does Peter mean when he refers to the end of all things? Well, I mean, there's a very general sense in, in which we understand and know that this world is coming to an end. But there are certain eschatological periods, that is, end-time occurrences that, that we are still awaiting for. And they don't, they don't all happen, as we look at Scripture, they don't all happen just at one time. Um, we, we are, in fact, in our current time, living in what the Bible refers to as the end times. The end times were initiated when Christ first came to the earth in human form. That began a period of time referred to as the end times. Now, we don't think of us living in the end times. We think the end times are still something that are awaiting us. But the fact is, because Christ has come once, we are in the end times. When he comes again, he's going to consummate that thing. But as I said, there are certain events and things that, are, that need to happen. Um, and the next thing in those events, the end is the end of the church age. The end of the church age in which Christ returns to rapture the church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this text. But is that what Peter is referring to? Or is he referring to the return of Christ in which he comes to judge with the holy angels and and, uh, consuming unbelievers in in flaming fire and judgment as we read about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? Or or are we talking about the final judgment that comes after after Christ God at the great white throne judgment and then there's a new heavens and a new earth? Is that I, I personally, I believe that what Peter is referring to here, he's, he's referring to the next event chronologically that is to be expected, which is the return of Christ for his church. He's, because if you think about it, he's writing to people who are suffering. He's writing to people who are, who are in a difficult time. They're, they're desperate. And, he wants, and he's been trying to encourage them to endure and to persevere. And he just wants them to know, look, it's not going to last forever. Christ is coming. He's coming for you. And he says, and that time is coming soon. Now, we don't know exactly when he's coming, but we know this. We're 2,000 years closer today than they were at the time when Peter wrote this. It could happen today. It could be 100 years from now. Personally, I think it's coming soon. 
Christ is coming for His church and He encouragement here is seeking to give them a, a perspective um, in dealing with and in person are, are formerly Jews, some of them are Gentiles as we've seen through the text as he addressed from their culture especially but then also from their government and the Roman government is starting to crack down on Christians as Christians are not bowing to Caesar. They're not declaring Caesar as Lord, but rather declaring Jesus as Lord, and they're seen as a threat, and so in, persecution is increasing, and, and Peter's just trying to remind them of the promises of faith and, and trying to encourage them by telling them that the end of all and you don't have to suffer anymore, and you're not going to have to be in fear anymore. You're not going to have to hurt anymore. And so he, he wants to give, he wants to provide some perspective to the church in its distress. It's a perspective that we all need to be reminded of because we all suffer times of great needs, times of discouragement, times of distress, times of desperation. Our community suffered from a great shock this last week in a, in a, in a moment of desperation as, as a, a mother killed four of her adopted children and then turned the gun on herself and and uh, and there's investigation still ongoing and there's still a lot that's not known about what happened but what we do know is it was an act of desperation um, she didn't have hope in that moment and while you know we shudder to think that we would that any of us would get to that point where we have no hope, we also understand that it is a reality as they once were. Now, there's always been desperation in the world. There's always been people that do shocking things because they get to that point where they don't know where else to turn and they just seek to, to end things. And, uh, but it's becoming an epidemic in our time and in our culture. Um, I read an article in the 35,000 suicides occur in the United States in 2016, more than twice the number of homicides, making it the 10th leading cause of death. But among people ages 15 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. That is a horrifying statistic as we think about the impact of hopelessness on our world. People are hurting. They're, they're desperate, and they don't know where to turn. People need the hope of the gospel. They need the hope of Christ. It's not that Christians are immune from desperation. We as believers still have our struggles. We still have those difficulties. We're not immune from depression. We're not immune from desperation. But as followers of Christ, we have access to the presence and the power and the peace of God. Unbelievers don't have that, but, but we as believers, we have that so, that so that we don't have to despair, so that we don't have to get to that place where we have nowhere else to turn. Unfortunately, and also in our world and among our churches, there's increasingly, it seems when, 
when people get to very desperate times in their life that the church has often, all too often, just simply deferred people to secular resources. They defer people. They don't want to deal with people's depression. They don't want to deal, deal with people's discouragement. They don't want to deal with people's desperation. Somehow we've gotten to the point in our country where we think that the church doesn't have the answers that people need in their most desperate times. But so often these things that plague people, the distress, the discouragement, the depression, these, are, these can be deeply spiritual matters. And I'm not saying that there's not a role for medicine and doctors to play in helping the people to deal with the issues of life. But what I am saying is that the church should not neglect its responsibility to declare the truths of God's word and the promises of scripture and the power of God that is able to deliver us from the strongholds that grip us in this life. Amen. Listen to what second. Corinthians 10, 4, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. God has given us power to deal with these things. And we cannot and should not simply defer to the world to deal with people's deepest spirit and find the hope that comes through faith, to find the hope that comes through his word. Paul told the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that they're not to grieve as those who have no hope. And I would add to that that we're not only not to grieve as those who have no hope, but we're, we're not to, to despair as those who have no hope. We're not to feel defeated as those who have no hope. Because we have hope. Christ is our great hope. He has given us hope in himself and in his word. Peter is focusing the attention of, of believers to the end of all things as a perspective of that hope, of the reality of the promises that Christ has given to us in himself. He didn't come just to, just to wipe out our sins and, and reserve us a place in heaven. That is part of our salvation, but that is not all that he came to do. Christ came to deliver us from the stronghold of sin. Amen. Every difficulty, every discouragement, every desperate, every desperation in this world has its roots ultimately in sin. The curse of sin is powerful and it holds people down. And Satan seeks to keep people in its bondage. But we have been given the hope of Christ who sets people free, who has overcome sin and has overcome even death itself. So that we don't have to be a people who have no hope. So Peter focuses our attention on the reality that Christ is coming again. That he's going to put an end to our suffering. He's going to put an end to the difficulty. He's going to put an end to the desperation. Because once we're with him, we will always and forever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says that we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Christ is coming for his church. And we can have hope in Christ. It's not that walking with Christ 
insulates us from problems or discouragements or even desperation. Because when you, in fact, when you... And listen to, to the raw cries of hurting, but they knew that God had the power of deliverance. And while we're not immune from those circumstances that can bring desperation into our life, I will say this that a Christian who is walking in the Spirit of Christ will never give in to those acts of desperation. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that a Christian cannot commit acts of desperation. There have been Christians, I believe, that have committed suicide. I believe because we're all, we're all able at any one time to give in to temptation. But they didn't do it while they were walking in the Spirit of Christ. They didn't do it while they were filled with the Spirit. Because the spirit of Christ does not carry out the acts of the flesh. That is, it doesn't carry out our personal desires. It carries out the will of the Lord. The spirit never acts contrary to the Lord's will. So as we walk in the spirit, as we submit ourselves to the leading of the spirit, as we walk in the power of the spirit, we can have the constant reminder of Christ's presence and the hope that he gives us through his word. And as we walk in that, we do those things which honor the Lord. And we begin to respond to our circumstances and to the purpose for which God has given us. He's seeking not only to give us a perspective, but he's seeking to give us purpose. And that's what we see here in, in verse number 7 as, as Peter continues. And, and just so y'all know, we're not going to get out of verse 7 this morning. So just... Last for a minute, so but he hasn't gone anywhere yet. So we're just going to stay in verse 7 this morning. We'll, pick, we'll finish the rest next time. But he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, this is, a, this is an action word. It's connecting what he just said to what he's about to say. He says, Therefore, because the end of all things is near, you need to do some things. You have a responsibility to respond to this reality. Yes, Christ is coming again. You don't have to worry about suffering and, and despair forever. But what you do need to do is you need to be acting in such a way. You need to be uh, pursuing the things of Christ. And while Peter doesn't specifically talk about being spirit-filled, the actions that he gives us in this text, the things that he tells us to do in this text, are things response to God's word, and we can't obey God's word, and we can't do the things that God wants us to do apart from being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And so he tells us that there, there are some things that we need to understand, there's some things, some responses that we need to make. We need to be sound in our faith. We need to be serious in our relationships. We need to be steadfast in our service to the church. And that's essentially the, the outline of this, of this text. Um, he, he tells us, first of all, that we need to be sound in our faith. He says, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, I say sound in faith because he links these attitudes with the action of prayer. So it's not simply that we need to be of sound judgment and of sober spirit, just in, in a means in which the, these two phrases actually come from two Greek words that are synonymous 
Um, they essentially mean the same thing. They mean to be sober-minded. That is the opposite of being under the control of intoxicating substances. It means to be clear-thinking. It means to be discerning. Uh, both of these words carry, carry that idea of, of actually of awaking out of a drunken stupor. You know, someone who's drunk, they don't think clearly, right? But they, they're at a point where they come to their senses. That's what these words picture. Someone who, is, who has come to their senses, who is not under the influence of those, of those things. But you know, it's not, it's not merely intoxicating substances that can cloud our thinking. It's also desperation, discouragement. Those, those things can cloud our judgment. When we get our eyes so focused on our circumstances that we miss the person of Christ and the promises of Christ, it can cloud our thinking. And so Paul tells us, or Peter rather, tells us that we need to, we need to understand that our mind needs to be focused on the things of the Lord, that we need to be clear and discerning in our judgments and, and in our thinking so that we can fulfill Christ's purpose for us. You know, historically, as people have thought about the return of the Lord in the coming year, this was something that the apostles were, were dealing with even, even this early in the life of the church, and something the church fathers dealt with later on, is, is people would often respond in extremes uh, when it came to soon, or what they believed to be the soon return of Christ. Some people just, they were just complacent. They just said, why bother doing anything? Christ is coming back. I don't need to worry about anything. So they would just neglect their responsibilities and they just kind of laid back and they were lazy and they didn't feel like they needed to invest in, in their families and they didn't need to invest in their life and they didn't need to make preparations for the future because after all, Christ is coming back. Why does it, why does it all matter? But the Lord never gives us permission to neglect our responsibilities. Amen. He, he always tells us to be mindful of the things that are going on around us and the people that are going on around us and he has a purpose for us in this life until Christ returns. So that we ought to be busy doing something for the sake of the Lord. We ought never to become complacent. And then the other extreme is those who were, who, who were just kind of what I, I'll just call, uh, they were end times extremists. Okay, these are people who are so focused on the return of Christ and, and those events that they would just, they would spend all of their time just pouring over the scriptures that referred to the end time so that they, um, would, would begin to formulate ideas and predictions about how these things were going to come about and they start naming times and specific dates and, and this is how it has to unfold and these are the things when they're going to happen. And you know how many people, I mean, how many literally hundreds and, and probably even thousands of people have made predictions of when Christ is going to come back? I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just numerous. You know how many of them have been right? Zero, right? Because it's meant to be a mystery. We're not supposed to know. It doesn't matter how much you study the scripture. If you study the scripture and you come back to me with a timetable that says this is when it's going to happen, I'm going to say you're only fooling yourself. Because the Lord told his disciples in Acts um, chapter 1 right before his ascension, he said it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. The disciples were asking him, he says, when, when is the kingdom coming? He says, listen, don't worry about that. But you know what he told them immediately following that? He says, listen, don't worry about those things that the Father's fixed in time. He says, he says, but you just wait on me and the Spirit's coming and you get busy doing what I gave, the work I gave you to do. Amen. He says, don't, don't worry about all that stuff. Know it's coming. Look, we can have a hope for the future and we can, we can have an understanding that there's, there's things that are going to happen in the future that are absolutely horrible that we hope to escape. Um, 
but through faith in Christ, he's going to deliver us from those realities because he's going to rapture up his church. But the reality is, is we're not to be so focused on those events that we miss out on what Christ has for us to do right now. And right now, he has responsibilities for us. Not only to look out for our families and look out for those around us and to prepare for the future, but to represent him in the world in which we live. God saves us for the purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ. So that through our lives, Christ might be represented and that others might come to know him through our example. And so these, so Peter gives us this instruction to encourage us to walk in a way that honors God, that thinks clearly. And he gives us that connection with, with the mindset to the purpose of prayer. Showing us that he's expressing an overall, that we need to express an overall dedication to our relationship to Christ. A lot of times when we think about being sober-minded or of sound judgment, sober in spirit, these, these things... You know, we think about them, we think of them as being a reflection of our faith. And, and they and really often, God really often influence what we do. But sometimes I think what, what happens in, in our life is we begin to think about not just us, but we think about other people. And we begin to make judgments about other people based on, on their actions and how they how they respond. And, and there, you know, there are plenty of people out there who are wise and knowledgeable and discerning about many things in the world that don't know Christ. Uh, you know what I mean? Just because we're knowledgeable just because we're discerning doesn't mean we have a relationship with Christ. Uh -huh. But I think one of the one of the problems, and I think Peter was dealing with this to some some degree, is that you know what we have our own problems and and we know that we have a responsibility to represent Christ, but you know we look at the world around us and we just begin to make judgments about people and, and who we think needs Christ and who doesn't. And we say, well that person, you know what, they're really they're really giving and they're really uh, kind and they have a good a good head on their shoulders and they seem to be doing the right things and and so you know what? So they, they don't they they know they must know Christ, or else they wouldn't be like that. But how do we know if they know Christ? I mean, you can have somebody like that who's trying to atone for their own sins. They're carrying around a burden of guilt, and they're just trying to do the good, the best things that they can do because they just are they feel guilty. And on the other hand, we look at people sometimes that come around, they're in need, they're they're down on their luck, they're and and uh, they're maybe begging, and we think, man, what kind of person is that? They 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 must need the gospel because. You know, if they were Christians, they wouldn't be in such a terrible, such a terrible position. Or we make other assumptions about their life and we think, well, they just, they just, you know, they just are, they don't have a good head on their shoulders. They, you know, they make bad decisions. They don't think clearly. And they just, they just brought this on themselves. And we have all these kind of thoughts about people. Um, we shouldn't make those assumptions about people because you don't ever know. Somebody could be, somebody could be coming and, and helping or looking for help. And they might be a new believer. Uh, they might be someone who's who's been drugged through mud because of the, the past sins that they've had, but they've come to faith in Christ, and they're just they're just trying to find their way, and they're just looking for help. And, and we should encourage them in, in that, just as the other person might be carrying around a burden of guilt. This person might be a new believer, or it could be someone who's been a believer for a long time. Who just you know what they made some bad choices, but they're trying to trying to get back on the right path. I'm reminded by uh, Hebrews 13, 2, it tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing them. 
You ever think about those people that we pass judgment on that we that we think um, don't deserve our help or our attention? You ever think that maybe that's a messenger from God who's observing our behavior? Scripture says it should be. We need to be aware of those kinds of things. Amen. But sometimes, you know what? You know what I fear for the church today. It's not necessarily that we're making wrong judgments about people, although that's that's a problem. My fear is that so many Christians today don't make any judgment at all. They just don't think about the salvation of other people. They don't. They don't. They might think about it as far as their family is concerned, but they just don't think about it when it comes to other people. They, we make assumptions. You know what? We've, we've got favorite actors and favorite athletes and favorite this and favorite that, but do you ever think about those people in the sense of eternity? Do you ever think about whether or not your favorite actor is a Christian? Do you ever think about whether that athlete that you're watching on television knows the Lord? Do you ever think about the person at the grocery store who's, who's checking out your groceries? Do they know the Lord? Do you ever think about that server who's serving you at the restaurant, whether or not they know the Lord? We need to... In being sober-minded and being discerning and having sound judgment, it means we need to think about the things that concern the Lord in order that we might be conformed into his purposes and in the very image of Christ. When we are attentive to spiritual matters in everyday life and, our purpose, and to our purpose in representing Christ, it's a lot harder for us to get sidetracked by secondary issues. Um, when we're focused on the things of God, the things of this world don't seem so important. The things that can bring desperation and discouragement tend not to overwhelm us when we're focused on the truths of who God is and what he's done and what he can do. Because when we're focused on him and his ways, our mind is filled with the, with the hope of the spirit, with the promises of the word. So as we seek to, to honor the Lord by focusing our mind and coming to the Lord in prayer, the Lord works in us to encourage our hearts and to strengthen us. And that's really the purpose of why we need to be careful about what we're thinking about. As Peter, uh, Peter says here, for the purpose of prayer. The most literal rendering of that For the purpose of prayer, but it's just two words in the Greek, which really means into prayers or in prayers. He said, be sober-minded and of sound judgment in prayers. That is, our prayer life needs to be directed by our thought life, and our thought life needs to be focused on the things of the Lord. Our mindset directly reflects on our relationship to God as manifested in our prayer life. The, the term. He says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit in prayers. And just say it that way, in your prayers. Well, what kind of prayers? I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about praying. And uh, I could do a whole lesson, whole sermon right here on prayers. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. But uh, we could say at least Peter has in mind those prayers for wisdom and prayers for deliverance and prayers for instruction as he's dealing with the people that are suffering and hurting. We also have to remember that prayers always, should always deal with praise unto God and recognition of who he is and what he's done. 
you know, prayers are a part of the Christian life. It's, it's an area of our life as believers that we never perfect. It's an area of life in which we're always growing. We ought to always be growing in our prayers and drawing closer to God and understanding him better and understanding how to speak to him better and understanding how to relate to him better. Because this is, this is what, what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God, right? It, it's, it's a relational aspect of, of, of who we are in Christ. We are God's children, and he has called us for the purpose of a relationship, and he speaks to us through his word and his spirit, and we speak to him through prayer. And so you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't ever talk to. And we're not just to talk to them when we're in trouble. We're supposed to talk to them all the time. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And there's all kinds of instruction for prayer in the Bible. There's all kinds of examples of prayer in the Bible. And, and, but the reality is, is when we're saved by faith, we're brought into a new relationship with God as his children, and he desires to communicate with us. I just want to share with you a little bit about... Um, this is uh, what John MacArthur wrote in his book, Alone with God, um, when it comes to prayer and communicating with God. He says, Old Testament Jews desired to pray because they believed God wanted them to approach him. They didn't fear God the way pagans did their gods. In fact, the rabbi said that the Holy One yearns for the prayers of the righteous. They undoubtedly got that truth from Psalm 145, 18, which says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. No true Jew with a right spirit ever doubted God's priority for prayer. The rabbis rightly believed prayer was not only communication with God, but also a mighty weapon that released his power. The Jewish teachers went even further, teaching people to pray constantly and avoid the habit of praying only when they were desperate. Physician before you have need of him. The Holy One says, just as it is my office to cause the rain and the dew to fall and make the plants to grow to sustain man, so art thou bounden to pray before me and to praise me in accordance with my works. Thou shalt not say, I am in prosperity, wherefore shall I pray? But when misfortune befalls me, then will I come and supplicate. That is the right perspective. Prayer was not to be used just for emergency appeals. It was to be an unbroken conversation built around a living, loving fellowship with God. Prayer is integral to the faith of the believer. You cannot walk in faith apart from prayer. It is imperative. And it's imperative that we approach the Lord in the right way in our prayers, which is what Peter's talking about here. He says, listen. Praying is essential. You have to focus on your relationship with the Lord. You need to come to him thinking clearly, discerning the things that are around you, understanding what to pray and how to pray and, and bringing it before the Lord. And, then, and, and you're thinking, well, what about when you don't know what to pray or how to pray or when you have those moments of desperation when, when you can't even think straight? Well, the Bible gives us some encouragement there too. In Romans 8, 26, he says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we know that even in those moments of desperation when we don't know what to say, the Spirit is going to help us. He's going to intercede with us and intercede for us. But this isn't the, the again, this isn't the only time we're to pray, right? We're not only to pray when we're desperate. When we are desperate and can't formulate the words, the Spirit's going to help us. 
But as a matter of practice in regular life, we're to approach the throne of grace with a clear mind, with a purpose to know God's will and to know Him and draw close to Him and share our heart with Him. This is how we cultivate a relationship with Him. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. If we recognize... And we're not to be carried away with unhelpful fears and actions that make us unfruitful for the kingdom. And we're able to focus on the things of the Lord so that we can honor Him in keeping constant communion with Him through prayer. Then we are able to endure and persevere and overcome for His sake and for His glory. You see, in Christ, we have been given the greatest hope available to humanity. We have been given the experience of genuine forgiveness. We have been given unconditional love. We have been accepted into the family of God, and all because of what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. None of us are ever all that we ought to be for Christ. We're all growing. We're all a work in progress. We're all maturing in our faith. And God, through his great mercy, is working through the power of his spirit to conform us to the very image of his son. So the question to us this morning is, are you being conformed? Are you being changed by the power of the spirit? Are you growing in faith? Or are you just going through the motions? Anybody who senses the burden of sin and guilt and condemnation that it brings can relieve themselves of that burden by bringing it to Christ. He is ready to forgive. He is ready to accept. He is ready to renew you. Simply come. Repent of your sins and trust that his sacrifice is sufficient. It's that simple. But if you're just today, you know him, but you're just struggling, and you're despairing, and you're discouraged, and you, you hear this word that Christ is coming soon, and that you're to be clear-headed and, and to come to him in prayer, understand that's the first step to gaining that peace that he gives us. I would encourage you to look back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which teaches us not to be anxious for anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, who guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus and grants to us that peace which surpasses all understanding. We cannot do it on our own but through Christ and through the Spirit of Christ, we can experience victory over desperation. We can experience hope in the midst of difficulty, and we can grow in our faith day by day, moment by moment, 
as the Lord works in us and through us for his own glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the word which you've given us this morning, for the encouragement that it brings to understand. Lord, we don't have it all together, and we need your help desperately. And you have called upon us, Lord, to to trust in you, to consider our circumstances and to think about all that you have done on our behalf, to understand that you created all things and the world belongs to you, and that in our weakness, we can't overcome, but in your strength, nothing is impossible. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding hearts this morning, that we would understand our weaknesses and understand our need for you. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant to us peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, peace in our hearts, peace, Father, that helps us to endure and to overcome, understanding and knowing that you are coming soon. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Lord, we look forward to that day. We recognize our suffering is only temporary. But we also recognize that as temporary as it may be, it's still difficult. And you have offered us strength to endure and to overcome. And we pray now, Lord, that you would grant that strength to us this morning as we come to you with surrendered hearts. We trust you to do what is best in every circumstance so that we might grow in faith and that you, our Lord and Savior, might be glorified through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to ask you to stand with me as we enter into a time of prayer. Jim's going to lead us. The altar's open if you want to come forward and pray. I'll be down front if you'd like for me to pray with you. I just ask that you ask the Lord what he would have you to do today and that you would respond to him. Jim. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide my face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every heart, in stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on christ the solid rock i 
Christ and all other ground is sinking sand. Oh.